Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringer's gambling podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta, and they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Tate Frazier, and on the line in Oakland... Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm great. I'm at the Pat Nolan Studios. They, did, they didn't shoot, uh, they didn't uh, record rumors at the studio in Northern California, but it's really a nice studio. Pat Nolan has a nice setup up here. I'm doing good. What are you recording everyone, tonight besides GM Street? You got an album coming uh, out soon? I, have, I might have one. You know, I'm on Ballers tonight, so God knows the world's the limit. Who knows what I could accomplish? <laughs> You're HBO talent now, Lombardi. I, I don't even know if I belong You're, in a podcast yeah, I, with you. I know, and I've been instructed, Tate Frazier, I'm going to start calling, since you call me Lombardi, I'm calling you Tate Frazier, I'm giving you a complete full name now. I kind of like it. You're, you're, you're royalty. I, I think it's right, Tate Frazier. All right, good, that's perfect. There's no hyphen in it, there's no hyphen in it either, it's not like Tate, pause, Frazier, it's going through. <laughs> let's talk some football, Tate Frazier. Let's do it, let's do it. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the game that you were at today, you were at the Raiders-Jets yeah. game, uh, you were supporting your son with the Jets, obviously, but... You were there, and you got to witness Marshawn Lynch uh, uh, dancing on the big screen for everyone in Oakland, and it, it looked like the crowd was very happy, very content with the with the team they have up there in Oakland. You know, the last time I was in that stadium was under the Art Shell administration, and I try to forget it. And then being back, you know, I remember the good times when we were good there and when we had some good teams, and Mount Davis used to be full. They put the canvas all over Mount Davis now. But, I mean, the Freighter fans were just – incredibly into their team and they've got a good team. I think the Raiders showed today that they're going to knock out bad teams. Like they're not going to play every to the level of their comp. They took the jet game over the fumble at the end of the half on the punt really separated the game. It's 14 to 10. The Jets are moving the ball effectively on them, you know, Dinkin and Duncan spread them out. But then that fumble made it 21 to four 21 to 10 Jets got the ball back. They just didn't have enough. I mean, look for the Jets to be good this year, for the Jets to be decent this year, they're never going to be good. <laughs> that was a, that's quite a statement. Play well. You know, and for the first two weeks of the season, they haven't had any defense. And that's really hurt them. And so everybody focuses on their offense and focuses on their quarterback and focuses on what they can't do on offense. When really, when you boil it down, their defensive line has not played well for the first two weeks. And the Raiders pushed them around today. And they did pretty much anything they wanted to do when they needed to do it. So it was good to be back in the – it was good to be back in the in, – in the Coliseum, it was interesting to see Raider fans again, and, and I think the Raiders are a team, and they're going to be around for the, till the end. I mean, it's going to be hard to knock them out because I think they can play some styles, but you know, they they certainly took the Jets and made that easy doing. I just want to point out Michael Crabtree with the hat trick today, three touchdowns. Uh, that was a very impressive performance. Yeah, he was great. Now, and made a lot of cl- yeah, he was great. I mean, and look, you, you, you didn't even think Amari Cooper was playing. I mean, Crabtree, Cook made some plays. I mean, those two running backs that go along Washington and, and Richard, uh, you know, those guys come in and make really big plays. They kind of give them a little bit of diversity within their offense. And I thought cars play within himself. He hasn't tried to force anything. 
Their offensive line's good. Look, defensively, they're going to have some problems when they play against certain style of teams. But when they play the Kansas City, they'll have some trouble next week against Washington. But, you know, they, they can play a pace of a game that's hard to beat. I like the Raiders. I like their complete team this year. And this Patterson guy, I've always liked Patterson. I, he doesn't have a position because he can't really learn a position. You know, but he's a playmaker, and they put him in the backfield, and he took off and made a play. You just get him the football. It's hard, too, but he really did a nice job. I mean, he's a great addition for him. Yeah, he's a nice change of pace. I mean, even when he get, when he got that handoff, uh, he was in the slot, and he came over in the backfield and got the handoff for that touchdown run. You know, if you saw him from behind, you might think it was Marshawn Lynch, but when he hit that burst, it was like, this is, this is yeah, this is a different guy. This is a different kind of speed. Yeah, and he can't run an offense, Tate. I mean, I interviewed him. I mean, in the interview room, he couldn't remember any of the Tennessee plays. He struggles to really retain a lot of things in terms from week to week. He's a national anthem player, meaning that every day is a new day. But the reality of it is, is when he gets the ball in his hands, he's a playmaker. You just got to get the ball in his hands, and he's and he responds. And he seems to be really playing and enjoying the expanded role in Oakland. He didn't have it in, 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 in Minnesota. Minnesota really kind of limited him. We're just trying to run trick plays. Here they're kind of running and putting the ball in his hands, treating him like a running back. I mean, he's a new version of Ty Montgomery. I like him. I think he's good. Uh, I agree 100% on that. He's a guy that you actually marked early in the year for a guy to watch out, and uh, he proved you right once again. Um, let's run through just the gamut of games. I mean, we had 15 games that went on today. Let's do it. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll call this our first 15, our script. This would be like Andy Reid's script or Doug Peterson's script. <laughs> All the West Coast offense script. Beautiful. Let's do it. The first 15. Let's start out with the Buffalo Bills at the Carolina Panthers. 9-3. to The Panthers get a nice win. Uh, a very ugly win. The, the first home game of the season. Julius Peppers makes his return I mean, to Carolina. It was uh, not 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 the most beautiful, eloquent game, but uh, you know it was effective, I guess. The remarkable thing about this game is LaShawn McCoy had negative yards rush. I mean, he was like nine carries, eight yards in the game. The leading rusher was Tyrod Taylor. And they're throwing the ball... I mean, they've, I didn't know who the receiver was, but they're actually throwing the ball towards the goal line. And if the kid makes the catch and he gets into the end zone, Buffalo's going to win the game 10-9. I mean, it's close. It was fourth and 17. So, and they got six sacks on Cam Newton. Here's what I think. I think that, that McDermott showed teams how to attack Carolina. And I think it'll be interesting next week when you watch them play and you see how they handle New Orleans plays them next week. And they'll take some of Sean McDermott's ideas and expand upon them. Because you get six sacks on Cam and you're the Buffalo Bills, you're doing pretty good. I mean, Buffalo's going to be a hard team to play. I promise you, Buffalo is not going to go away easy. And when you look at that Panthers game also, Greg Olson goes out with a broken foot. Uh, he was seen on crutches. On the, yeah, he was seen on crutches on the sideline after the game. He said he had a broken foot. Yeah, he said, he said he was probably going to miss a lot of games, possibly the season. So with that injury, that obviously takes away Cam's security blanket too. So uh, it'll be interesting because it's either the, the Saints go 0-3 or the Panthers go 3-0 and next week. So that'll be uh, that'll That's be right. fun to watch. They're, they're both uh, you know back against the wall a little bit. Uh, let's go to the Bears and the Buccaneers. Mike Lennon. Tough day for Mike Lennon. Two picks, also a pick six. Um, when you And Jordan Howard also had the same thing as LaShawn McCoy. More attempts than actual yards on the ground. And he actually left the game in a sling as well. So the Chicago Bears got beaten up by the Buccaneers today, to say the least. No, I mean, look, the Bears, I don't want to hear this nonsense. Oh, they lost Kevin White. They lost the receiver. Even when they had Kevin White, they didn't have a receiver. I mean, the Bears are just one-dimensional. They can't really do things. I don't know why they just don't put Trubisky in the game. They didn't even have him in the game at the end of the game. I mean, let them have some reps. I mean, get them some time to play because the Bears aren't going to be able to win the way they're set up right now. They don't have enough skilled players. They try to get Everybody knows Cohen's the guy they want to get the ball to. I'm impressed with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay played really good defense. 
They did the things they had to do. They took over a team that's, you know, they're coming out rusty for the first week. I thought Tampa did a nice job. And moving on from there, we got the Minnesota Vikings uh, playing at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sam Bradford sits out this game with the, they say he does not have a torn ACL. The ACL is still intact, but he did not start this game. Case Keenum started and uh, the Steelers pretty much, you know, dominated this one pretty easily. You know, if I was going to be Jim Feist and give you a pick of the week every week, I would have <laughs> said before the injury, right? I would have said Minnesota. I would have thought Pittsburgh was going to beat Minnesota soundly. I thought that they would have been my my two, two my my pick of the week. Not to not to step on Sal's toes here, but that would have been my pick. And then you know, and then then Bradford. Just when I'm feeling like I'm going to love Bradford, you know, he he gets hurt again. And but I thought Minnesota. Look, Pittsburgh's really not in rhythm yet on offense. They had four field goals. I think they were not very good in the red zone. They really couldn't consistently move the ball as well as you would have thought they would. Minnesota's a good team. But Pittsburgh did exactly what I thought they would do. They took this game over. Even if Bradford would have played, I think Pittsburgh wins the game. And I think Pittsburgh, you know, right now they've played two games and they haven't played their best football of the season. There's a lot ahead of them. Now, also, in this game, T.J. Watt got hurt. So that mm-hmm. could really affect him. He's got a groin injury. So we'll see how that plays out next week when they when they go to Chicago. T- another tough opponent for them. Let me ask you one thing about the Vikings. That, that was a joke, Dave Fraser. That was a joke, Dave Fraser, <laughs> playing Chicago. Come on, man. That's I know good. it's late. That's going to be tough. Yeah, that, that'll be a hard game uh, in Soldier Field. But can I ask you one thing just from a GM perspective with a guy like Bradford? Obviously, he is your quarterback, but you're dealing with sort of the same things, a lingering issue with the, the knee that you know he's had problems with. I mean, as a GM, are you already trying to think of, you know, ways to get guys in there that maybe can help this team win this season? Maybe a seasoned veteran to come in, maybe just in case, like a, a case of emergency type situation? I, I think that's what they got Case Keenum for. I mean, I... I don't think they thought this was going to happen. I like to know the play he got hurt on last Monday night. I didn't see it. You know, he finished the game. So, and then this week he came out, and you know, everybody told me during the week he wasn't going to go because he didn't take any reps in practice. And whenever a team brings up a, a cuts a player, creates a roster spot for a third string quarterback, they're not doing that because they think Bradford might go or they think he's going to go. The reality of it is, is once they do that, they know Bradford's not going. That's a clear dead giveaway sign that they're going to dress. They're not bringing that guy up to inactivate him. They're bringing him up to dress him. Mm. And we knew when Bradford went out in pregame and he didn't do very much, and he went right back in. I mean, it was a gimme putt. You know, if we'd have said on Thursday he wasn't going to play, because that's kind of what I was told, but you're not going to say it because, you know, some guys sometimes have turnarounds and then you say, oh, you're just spreading rumors. So you kind of hold back on it. But I, I think this Bradford thing is going to be a problem all year because when they go on the road, and this is what I thought would happen to them in Pittsburgh, when they went on the road with their offensive line as well as it played at home against New Orleans, it was going to be a different game in Pittsburgh. And I, and I think it's going to be interesting to see Bradford when he's healthy, when he comes back, can he hold up? Let's move to Indianapolis. The Cardinals play the Colts in Indy oh, today. That was probably one of the t- that's probably the eyesore of the weekend. I would say that would be my superlative. Dave Frazier, if Al Davis was alive, Chuck Pagano would have been fired tonight. I mean, Chuck Pagano did exactly what you can't do in a game. He's got third and seven. They have one timeout, the Arizona Cardinals, and he drops back to throw like he's backed up in his own end zone. He's lucky he didn't lose the game then. So here's what happened. He's backed up, right? Mm -hmm. And Bursette comes out, he throws the ball in the dirt, and now they give back the timeout to the Arizona Cardinals, okay? They punt, they catch it, and now they're kicking a field goal to win the game in regulation. Fortunately, the guy misses the field goal in regulation, but he should have made it in regulation, and they should have lost the game. It was just horrendous. It's like, what game are you watching, Chuck? Your (laughs) opponent wasn't the Cardinals at that time. Your opponent was 
take their time out, run the football, make work the clock so we can get this game in overtime. I mean, it just drove me insane. I was going nuts. Do you think he was trying to do a favor to Bruce Arians? You know, they have a great relationship. Maybe he was just trying to help him out. <laughs> I don't know, Tate Frazier. I mean, I don't understand it. It was like the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. Like, I'm sitting there say, watching the game. I'm saying, you've got to run it here, Chuck. And all of a sudden, he drops back the pass. Like, that's unexcusable. You can't do that. You're cheating your team. And then, of course, naturally, they lose in overtime. And, oh, by the way, I did these videos on Friday about Carson Palmer. If I were the GM, what would I think? Mm -hmm. On that plane ride home, if I'm Steve Kime, we don't have a quarterback. I Mm -hmm. mean, you can say we do. His name's Carson Palmer, but we're not going to beat anybody. When we're winning 16-13 to over the Indianapolis Colts, we're not very good. That is very true. Let's talk about a quarterback that is really good, and that's Tom Brady. He comes back with three touchdowns in the first quarter. That's the first time he's done that in his career, Mike Lombardi. Can you believe that? Three touchdowns in the first quarter. I think it's amazing that they came out and they just, and and what was amazing about the first couple drives, they were converting on third down. They weren't like making chunk plays right away. And Brady stood in the pocket and they took the game right away from, right away from the, the Saints. I mean, they went ahead. And then the Saints came back down the field. They had to settle for a field goal and made it 6-3 to because they missed the opening kick. They missed the, the field goal on the first touchdown. And then the, the Patriots just kept moving the ball, making plays. I mean, look, this was a classic Patriot win. Dietrich Wise played really well. They finally got a defensive end that could play. I thought their defense played better. Landon Roberts showed them a little bit more team speed. Look, Brees had a great day, but they played better in the red zone. They didn't give up a big play, and they converted third down. And they, and they scored in the red zone. So all the things they didn't do against Kansas City, they did really well against New Orleans. And let's talk about the big guy, Gronkowski. There was a lot of talk after week one. He doesn't look like the same Gronk that we've always seen. He comes out today, has a 53-yard you know, big boy touchdown, does the whole Gronk spike. But then he leaves the game with a growing injury uh, after he gets yanked down on his back. I honestly thought it was a back injury when I first saw it, but then they reported it as a growing injury. He said he was good after the game. But, I mean, does it still cause for concern, even though he did have that big play, that you know he still goes out with the injury in this game? I mean, every time he, he's such a big guy, every time he falls down, it seems like he gets hurt. But, I mean, I'm told he's not that bad. He should be okay by the end of the week. Uh, look, look, if you're going to try to cover him with Kenny Vaccaro, which they did early in the game, and then they try to cover him with a linebacker, Alec, I, I forget his last name, 47, they try to cover him. I mean, that ain't going to work. I mean, take, that's not going to work. <laughs> so they need to figure something out, you know. And so Gronk is back. He looked better this week than he did last week. And that makes all the difference in the world to the Patriot offense because now they can control the middle of the field and they can attack. Dorsett got hurt in the game. I don't know how badly he is, but, you know, that's another receiver. That's the one thing the Patriots can't do is lose any more receivers. Well, they got Rex Burkhead. They got him going, finally. And then he got hurt. And then he got hurt with ribs. And then they got, you know, so now, but they've got, Gillespie really came in and ran well. They got enough backs. I think that's the one thing they can do. If a guy misses, I think he's going to be okay in there. But look, Brady was back to being Tom Brady, and the NFL, even though he's over 40, he shut me up, he shut everybody else up, because he played really well for it. All right, Lombardi, let's move on to Bill Belichick's old team, and and your old franchise, the Cleveland Browns, uh, they go down 24-10 yeah. at Baltimore Ravens today. Uh, a tough game with Deshaun Kaiser going out with a migraine. I mean, that was probably the first time I've seen that on an injury report, right? I never heard that before. During the game, he had a migraine, they put Kevin Hogan in the game. Look, I actually, again, if I'm Jim Feist, or if I'm Cousin Sal, I thought the Browns had a chance to win this game, and here's why. I thought that Baltimore wouldn't really be able to throw the ball that effectively. I didn't think Baltimore would run the ball. They ended up proving me wrong there. They ran the ball, and I thought the game would be a low-scoring game, a game that, that Cleveland could kind of win, 17-13, 16-13, something like that. 
and Baltimore did a few more things. I think Baltimore's getting some confidence on offense. Flacco threw the ball better this week than he did last, had more passing attempts than he did. He probably complained enough to get it done. But, look, I mean, Cleveland can't really do much. I mean, they don't have enough explosive plays, players on offense. And then defensively, everybody said, oh, they're going to be better on defense. I mean, at the end of the day, they can't really be better on defense because they don't have enough. They're on the field too long, and they can't make enough plays. And you look at that offense, Corey Coleman, a guy they want to be explosive, obviously had the broken hand last year. It's reported now that he probably has another broken hand, uh, so it could be back-to-back seasons with dealing with that injury with him. And he's a guy that yeah. could actually help out their offense. Uh, so, that, you know, that's not good news, obviously, for the Browns. No, it's, I mean, that's hard for him. So, look, I mean, and then Kenny Britt hasn't been the player they hoped he would be. I mm-hmm. mean, they traded Terrell Pryor in for Kenny Britt, and that hasn't worked out. So, look, Hughes won one game in Cleveland. He's, what, one in, he's one in uh, 17 now. I mean, the Browns got to start showing that they're making progress towards winning. Right now, I haven't seen it. And poor Joe Thomas, 10,000 consecutive snaps. Can can someone win a game for the man? Eventually, someone. Uh, will, so look, he needs a quarterback. Uh, he needs a quarterback. Plus, he got to play better on defense. I mean, they got to get some stuff. I mean, they were like 2 of 11 on third down. They couldn't convert a third down. When you look at the stats, you say, oh, look, they did a really good job in the game. Yeah, but they, they had the ball 26 minutes because they couldn't convert on third downs. So the plays that matter, they couldn't make. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and let's move to Kansas City. The Kansas City Chiefs face the Eagles. Andy Reid uh, taking his protege on head-to-head this week. They win 27-20. to 20. Even oh, though it was, it was a very yeah. valiant everybody effort from your boy, Doug Peterson. He did He did a good job. He tried to bring him yeah, back late. 400 yards. <laughs> Carson Wentz had two more fumbles. Carson Wentz had two more fumbles. You know, everybody's talking about it. Look, I, I just think the Eagles... They don't even run the ball. I mean, Blunt, where's Blunt? Is Blunt, he's missing an action. Is he in the witness protection program? Do they send him somewhere? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you're going to go on the road and you're going to try to throw the ball on the road in Kansas City, if you want to make it a 50-pass game or a 40-pass game, you're going to lose. They sacked him six times. You can't ever get control of the line of scrimmage. You know, and so you have to have a way to play in Kansas City. You just can't go out there and think you're going to throw it. you got to control the clock. Now, you know, I'm talking, you're talking to a guy, who believes in throwing the ball to run the ball. But you got to run it and reduce the game to keep them off balance. And I think this Chief team, they're making plays down the field. They're more explosive. The Eagles' corner situation showed up today, especially in the fourth quarter when their defensive front got tired. Can we just talk about Kareem Hunt? I mean, a lot of people thought that week one might have been a fluke, but he backed it up today. He had the 53-yard touchdown. He took a little nap in the end zone after scoring the touchdown. Uh, they had another touchdown to boot. I mean, he just looks like the real deal right now. I mean, I think it's back-to-back weeks he's led uh, running backs and fantasy points, too. So... I just I can't yeah, believe I he's the rookie everybody guy. Was crying when they lost Spencer Ware, and I mean these rookie running backs are good. Cook's good. I mean we'll get to Fournette here in a minute, but these rookie running backs are really good. I mean that's the one thing about rookies, running backs, the rookie running back class. It's been impressive. And let's get to that game right now. The the Titans go into Jacksonville and they win this one thirty seven to sixteen. Blake Bortles looked like the Blake Bortles that we know and love. Two interceptions, one fumble. Uh, yeah, it was just a tough I mean, tough Blake, week for the Jaguars. Yeah, he got all his yards in the fourth. He got all his yards in the fourth quarter. Tate. I mean, that's what he did. He was like, I think he had like 80-some yards going into the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden he put this, had these came from a line. He did exactly what he what he always does. Look, we talked about it on the podcast. Jacksonville's not going to win any games just trying to run the ball. They're going to have to have him involved in the game. They don't want to get him involved in the game. It's just going to be the same. And Tennessee, the one thing I will say about Tennessee, I, I was wrong about Der- Derrick Henry. I thought his foot quickness was going to be hard to hand. I didn't think it would be a problem for teams to tackle him. He's better than I thought he was. He's a really good runner. He runs with great power. He's better than I thought he was. And and he really was the difference of the game. I mean, DeMarco Murray wasn't the guy. It was Henry. 
And a lot of people forget that Derrick Henry is such, you know, he's this big lottery pick, basically, that they got to come in and be the running back. And then they get Murray, you know, so he's not getting the carries. And, you know, you never really knew how much talent was back there. You expected him to be a guy. And then today he looked like the top five pick that he should have been. You know what I mean? I mean, he was living up to right, all the yeah, hype. But, yeah, and I, and I always thought he was coming out of college. I thought he was a point of entry back that he had to get into the hole clean. But he gets to the corner a lot better than I gave him credit for. His speed to the outside. And Saban kept saying to us, that his speed was more deceptive. He kept telling, and I just couldn't find it on the tape. And sometimes, you know, with some of those Alabama backs, especially since, you know, you watch Trent Richardson run. Mm -hmm. But I think Henry's a way better player than I gave him credit for. And he was the difference in the game today. I mean, look, whenever you play, the way Tennessee plays, the way Jacksonville plays, all you have to do is if you stop the, if you stop the run, you're going to beat them. And you got the Ravens this week. The Ravens will stop the run, so Bortles is going to have to play in the game. And let's uh, keep it rolling here. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers, their first game in Los Angeles. Uh, it looked like there was some promise late. Jay Cutler comes in, gets his first win as a starter with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they had a late field goal. Uh, Young Way Koo uh, misses the field goal late. Um, they shoot off the cannon. They they fired the cannons like they were they won the game. And I guess because there was so many Miami Dolphins fans there cheering that they thought that that was uh, a win, but. It was just a tough loss. It was, it was the classic Chargers loss. I just feel bad for Phil Rivers. He does really all that work. Was. It was, yeah. but here, here's why it was a bad loss. Here's what drives me, because one of my pet peeves in football, here's what they did. Philip Rivers has got the ball. He's driving down the field. He's moving the ball effectively, right? Mm-hmm. And when they get in field goal range, they back it off, okay? Anthony Lynn backs it off, and then they waste the play centering the ball in the middle of, 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 the, of the line. And then... Unfortunately, the Dolphins called timeout, which really helped them because they were going to have to spike it, okay? But here's the problem. Here's where I have the biggest problem with Anthony Lynn and the San Diego Chargers this week is you don't go into this, that, that final drive with the opportunity you want to attempt a field goal. You want to make the field goal. The guy missed a 44-yarder earlier. So you got to be saying to yourself, look, we got to get this thing inside the 20. We don't want this guy kicking anything near the 40 because he's already proven he's missed one. Plus, he missed one last week. I don't want to put that pressure on him. And so instead, what do they do? They stop. Right when they get to a 44-yarder, well, he should make it. Well, no, he didn't make it. You know, and Miami walks away with a win that they really shouldn't have had. I mean, Miami walks away with a win that they shouldn't have had because I think they should have been able to get the ball closer to the end zone, especially when they were going. Mismanagement of time. I thought it was a really bad coaching loss for Los Angeles. And so what happened was the kicking team comes on on third down. Uh, you know, they run onto the field after, you know, they try to center it. Phillip Rivers runs over and tries to center it. Then the kicking team runs on the field. And if Adam Gase doesn't call that inadvertent timeout, I don't know if it was inadvertent or not, but for whatever reason, he calls a timeout. But the clock could have easily ran out. And then they just would have been sitting there looking dumb. Guys, they would have had 12 guys on the field. They would have had 12 guys on the field. It might have been a runoff because they had 12 guys on the field. So, they, 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 he called timeout, which helped them get the guys off the field because their field goal team, they were so disorganized. Their field goal team came running in, which leads me to believe situational football, they didn't practice it because that situation is we are not attempting the field goal. We're going to move the ball to where we can make the field goal. There's a distinction, and it really pissed me off. That was horrible. I hate when two teams do that. Like, don't do it. Throw the ball. You had one timeout. They waste timeouts just to get lined up. Spike the ball. You know, it's like when you take a check down in a two-minute drill and get three yards. People say, well, we got three yards. Okay. No, it's forget the three yards. You wasted eight seconds. You'd have been better with an incomplete pass. You know, like get the ball to this area. 
he could make the field goal. It was it was really tough to watch. I, I feel bad for all those Chargers fans that came out. Uh, it, it looked like it was a fun game to be at, but um, of course. It did, did. Not, it really did. Yeah, it did not end well for Phil Rivers, unfortunately. Let's talk about some more situational football. Let's go to the Dallas Cowboys who were playing at the Denver Broncos today. They get pretty much routed 42-17. to 17. Jason Garrett, after the game, comes out and pretty blatantly blames it on his quarterback, Dak, Pres- Dak Prescott. I mean, the Broncos basically forced him to be a guy that was going to make passes today, and he did not live up to it. He had two interceptions, uh, you know, threw the ball 50 times, which is pretty wild. But what do you think about Garrett coming out and just basically saying, you know, this is this falls on our quarterback, Dak Prescott? Well, I mean, look, Jason Garrett's a guy who punted with four. He had a fourth and three with 11 minutes to go in the game. He's down. What was he down? He was down by 18 points. Yep. And, and, he, and he goes ahead and punts. Like, like that. that's what he should do? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, Jason, what's he talking about? And then, you know, his best player on the team, guy he's playing over $15 million a year, ha- was targeted 16 times. He had seven catches, 59 yards. That's Des Bryant. I mean, one thing about the Cowboys after two weeks, they don't have an explosive player on offense. They just don't. So you can blame Dak Prescott all you want. At least Zeke Elliott's explosive. He's an explosive runner, but it's hard to run on the road in Denver. Everybody knew it was going to be hard to run on the road in Denver. And at what point does Jason Garrett take responsibility for setting up a game plan that's going to take into account Denver was a great third-down team. We talked about it all week. Denver's a third-down team. Stay out of third-down. Play Canadian football. Run the ball on. Run the ball in situations where they think you're going to throw it. But if you go in there trying to establish the run, you're going to have too many third-downs, and you're not going to win the game. Exactly what happened. And then they didn't play any good on defense. I mean, does Dak play defense? Yes, I know he gave up an interception to Tlaib. To me, this is just Garrett like trying to pass the blame around. I mean, Troy Aikman had no problem with them punting the ball on fourth and third. Like, Troy, are you kidding me? There's 11 minutes to go in the game. You're down by you're down by three scores. You got to have the ball back. You got to go for it on fourth and three tonight. McCarthy went for it. He went for it with with more time than that when he was down because he had to. I just think to me. You know, when Garrett starts blaming other people, he should look at himself. And he even had the moment when they could have cut it to a two-possession game when they had the fourth and goal, and they tried to go for the touchdown rather than just kick kick the field goal, get the points, and live another day. Just stuff like that. It just seemed yeah. it, it didn't it didn't really connect. And it, after that, the game was basically over at that point. Rather than getting the points and being able to try and see what you know what could happen, it seemed like they had already thrown up the white flag, yeah. which is very strange. Yeah, and then look, their defense didn't play good. I mean, look, Garrett Bowles are starting the left tackle, first round pick of Denver goes out in the game, and then they got they got to move guys around. They put a, they put backup linemen in there, and you still can't get pressure. And Trevor Simeon, now you give him time, he looks like he's a player. But we talked about this before. Can he can he maintain it? I don't know. But today he puts forty two on the Cowboys. You got to be worried if it's Dallas. Absolutely. And uh, Trevor Simeon himself put up more points than the 49ers and the Seahawks today. That was a pretty tough and brutal game to watch for anyone yeah. that tuned into that. Uh, the Seahawks win 12-9. to uh, That looks like four field goals, but it was actually a touchdown uh, to uh, Paul Richardson and then a missed extra point, which is always always a fun one. But uh, just looking at that game, I mean, that was just a brutal game to watch. I mean, the Seahawks offense looks like it's completely stalled out. I mean, the offensive line really yeah. is a problem. I think the longest pass was 22 yards. Oh, but by the way, the 49ers' longest pass play was 14 yards. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think the 49ers would go in there and throw the ball, run the ball effectively. They ran it better than I did. They just couldn't throw it at all. And, and I mean, look, the 49ers played good enough on defense to win. You just give up 12 points or 13 had they, made their, had they gone for the extra point, you win. But Seattle won this game with defense. Seattle's got to fix this offensive line. San Francisco's got to find a receiver that's dependable that can catch the ball and make some plays. And they got to get a better production of Brian Horner. But to me, it was a it was a game that I was really impressed with San Francisco for hanging so close in this game. Next week they play the Chargers at home. I mean, they play the Rams at home. So 
you know, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I think they'll beat the Rams, but I think that this 49er team, if they can get some play out of the receivers and out of the quarterback, they'd have a chance. Right now, they're not getting it. And let's talk about those Rams. They played the Redskins here in Los Angeles today. Uh, Jared Goff finally had the chance. They, they talked about last year, he loses you know, his first seven starts. He comes in, they get a huge win in week one. They blow out the Colts. And this was his first time to have a two-minute drive to go down. They're down 27 to 20. And b- before they could even set up the scenario and the situation, the stakes of the game, he throws an interception and the game's over. So uh, that, was yeah. t- that was tough for Jared Goff fans. I, I mean, they couldn't stop the run. I mean, look, they couldn't stop the run. And, uh, I mean, the Rams are not very good. Their offensive line breaks down. And the Cooper uh, uh, Cooper Cup's a good receiver. And, mm-hmm. I mean, when Goff has time to throw the ball, that's going to be fine. But when he's in two minutes and he's got to speed up his game, I just don't see it. And I think I think the ball comes off his hand kind of freaky and doesn't always look smooth when he throws it. But, look, the Rams are going to keep convincing themselves that he's going to be better and better. And next week, play San Francisco. We'll see how he does. But I think once teams see him and start heating him up, I think it's going to be a problem. And we got to say this. Aaron Donald comes back his first game back. They take the loss. I mean, is Aaron Donald, is he now Peyton Ewing man. Theory? He's a Ewing Theory candidate at this point, right? We've gotten to I that mean, point. Peyton, Peyton, yeah. I mean, he's a Tuesday player. you got to protect him. I mean, when Kyle Shanahan gets back to San Francisco tonight, first thing he's going to do when he gets in his office, he, he's preparing for the Rams. He's going to figure out wherever Donald is, we're going to block. We're going to double. We're <laughs> yep. going to slide the protection. Yep. You, you pay those players. You pay those players. Absolutely. And let's get to the final game of the night that just wrapped up. The Packers in Atlanta, in Atlanta's new stadium with the big halo with all the screens. It was a very beautiful setup, Atlanta. I'm very, very proud of the Falcons. Yeah. They look better like a Super Bowl contender. This stadium has way better... This stadium has way better lighting tape pressure than the other one did. It really did. It way better lighting. It looks great. I mean, it's really like it did. It looked great. And I mean, look, the Falcons. I've been thinking they can't duplicate what they did last year on offense, but they did it. And I, this is the part of the game I think everybody needs to really kind of nail down about Atlanta that was impressive. And it's about Green Bay as too. There's always a point in the game where the offense or the defense knows you have to do something, and if you can do it, you're a good team. So like tonight. When Atlanta had to throw the ball and Green Bay had to play man to man, Green Bay couldn't do it and Atlanta could. That mm-hmm. to me is real. That's when you know you got a really good team. When the other team knows you have to throw it and you can throw it, you're good. And I think that's where Atlanta proved tonight they are. And they're better on defense. They got good speed. They hit the heck out of Aaron Rodgers all night long. You know, they put the game away early with their turnovers and their speed. You know, Atlanta, it's going to be that South is going to be interesting to see how they beat up on each other. But to me, if if Matt Ryan continues to play the way he played and these receivers keep making plays like they do, they're a tough out. I will say that we did not give enough credit when we did the blue chip pod to Vic Beasley, who had a great game. He actually went out injured uh, in the third quarter, but he was playing great. Oh, and Aaron yeah. Rodgers in the backfield the whole time. And Desmond Trufant, what a game he had. Had the fumble recovery for a yeah. touchdown and a great interception uh, off his back shoulder that Rodgers threw at the end of the half. That, uh, that Atlanta defense looked legit tonight. I don't know if it'll last, but tonight they look pretty scary. They, and they had no problem playing man-to-man against. That's the one thing. They had no problem. And, and Green Bay's injury list is enormous. Thank God they're playing the Bengals this week because their injury list is enormous. Randall Cobb went out. And then Atlanta had no problem playing man-to-man against them. Like, Atlanta has no problem playing man-to-man against Green Bay. It's remarkable. And they think their speed can cover up for Rodgers. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to do some big-picture topics, do the good, bad, the ugly of the week, and then we'll wrap this thing up, Lombardi. All right. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to tell you about House of Carbs, hosted by one of my best friends, Joe House. I've known him since 1988, and the entire time I've known him, he's been very, very hungry. And now he has a chance to host a podcast about being hungry, all the things that make him hungry, 
the food that he loves. It is a podcast by the hungry for the hungry. And it's not your typical foofy food podcast where they're talking about foie gras and all that stuff. No, no. We're talking about diners. We're talking about fried chicken sandwiches, pizza slices, best Chinese food. Everything you, everything you talk about with food is on this podcast and with great guests like David Chang, uh, Chris Bianco, Jimmy Kimmel, a bunch of people coming up. All of them love food. Nobody loves food quite as much as Joe House. But listen, check this out. Subscribe right now to House of Carbs wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Lombardi, we're back. We're just going to hand out some superlatives for the week. We're going to do good, bad, ugly. Let's start with the good. Good things come first. And the good is obviously the Denver Broncos. I mean, they pretty much showed themselves today as a contender. Uh, they come out and they blow out the Cowboys at home. When you look at them, what was good? And uh, are the Broncos a legit team right now? You know, the Broncos play man-to-man. If you don't have receivers that can get away and you don't have a scheme that can help separate the receivers, they're really tough to play. Their pass rush was good. You know, this is a Denver. They ran the ball effectively. C.J. Anderson, they threw the ball with Trevor Simeon. I mean, they were good today. They were completely, they played three phases of football really well. They lost the left tackle, which could hurt them. I thought Dallas, really, this is the wake-up call for Dallas because Dallas is better figure out, besides Zeke Elliott, who is their big-time player. Do they have a skilled guy that can go make a play? Because when you feature, when you throw the ball 16 times to Des Bryant, he has seven catches for 59 yards. That ain't big-time numbers. That would be like, you know, you shooting, you know, 30 times to get 30 points. It just don't happen, right? A.K.A. the Kobe Bryant. A.K.A. the Kobe. You know, you're always good with that, Dave Fraser. Go ahead. <laughs> just wanted to say that. Just throw a little dig in there. Uh, let's talk about the bad, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Obviously, the 10 sacks against Tom Savage looked great last week. A lot of people thought that they had maybe one of the best defenses in football. This week, uh, not so much against Marcus Mariota. They only had one takedown and two quarterback hit, hits against him. And, you know, he's obviously a more elusive guy, but pretty bad for the Jaguars, right, in week two? Yeah, I think it's bad only for the sense that they got they, they have to play too much defense. I mean, they're not going to be able to play effectively if their offense doesn't get some points, if their offense doesn't become more explosive. I think that's what makes them bad. You, you know, and I, and I think really the other guy that could be bad is Chuck Pagano. I mean, Chuck was really bad because, I mean, Chuck not being able to handle the, you know, the, the, the end of the game, he's got the lead, managing it. And really, J- Jacoby Brissett gave him a chance to win that game. And you got to wonder, you know, like, really, was it that hard to put Jacoby Brissett in there instead of Scott Tolzien? I don't think that was hard. So I'm going to I'm gonna each give one of those bad bads to Jacksonville and to Chuck Magana. And then we're going to wrap this thing up with the ugly. When you're looking at who was the, the ugly of this week, I mean, it, it, there's someone that jumps uh, out to you. It's got to be the Chargers, Dave Frazier. It's got to <laughs> be the Chargers, because they could be 2-0. and they got a rookie field goal kicker. They're sitting there, and they, and they can't win close games. It's ugly. They can't win close games, and yet they keep trying to play close games. I mean, do you remember last year with Mike McCoy on the sideline when the game was close, how he was, like, in pain? Mm-hmm. And now they're right back at it again. You know, they go. They had a chance to drive the ball down the field. It was ugly to watch. It was poor game management. Remember this. We're not trying to attempt the field goal. We want to make the field goal. To me, that deserves the ugly. What do you do as a GM when you have a situation with a kicker like this? One for four, first two games. He's obviously a young guy, a rookie guy. He's had the opportunities there. I mean, he got unlucky being iced in the first week, obviously. But, I mean, do you start thinking of other options or are you still try to ride it out because he, yeah, he's a young guy? I think, you do. I think you start thinking of other options. I mean, look, the the the, the, uh, the Raiders signed this Italian kid for Sebastian Janikowski, Giorgio. Uh, and, you know, he's come in and done a nice job for him. So, look. You can't be you can't be stuck with just a kicker. You got to make some changes when you think you have to do it. And this kid, the pressure, 
was on them, and I think it was bothering them, and I think it's going to keep bothering them. First of all, the team doesn't have confidence in them. You just lost two games. You lost two weeks in a row because of your kicker. That's hard to do. That's very, very hard to do. So there'll be a tough, ugly week for the Chargers to try to bounce back going down 0-2, but you can never count out the Bolo tie, so you never know, Lombardi. They may, they may be able to bring it back. There we go. There we go. All right. This has been another episode of GM Street. Lombardi, I hope you enjoy Northern California. I'm sure they're happy to have you back in Oakland. I'll be back tomorrow. Perfect. I'll be back tomorrow. We want to thank we want to thank Pank Nolan Studios for helping us here tonight. And we'll appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you on Tuesday, Tate Frazier. That's it for GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll be back Tuesday.